Hi, you're listening to the National Theatre Podcast. I'm Sam, I'm a producer at the National Theatre, and I'll be your host, your guide through our backstage adventures. Welcome, welcome to our first show. In each episode of this series, we'll be looking at how theatre connects to the bigger things in our lives. Sex, death, politics, and everything in between. But today, we're going to be talking about one of the most defining issues of our time. Brexit. But I'm bored of Brexit, I hear you cry. I have reached peak Brexit. And so have I. But you know what? That's one of the great things that theatre can do, right? It takes big, important, slightly boring events and turns them into pieces of art that can feel vital and personal. Today, we're going to be talking about that in the context of our recent show, My Country, A Work in Progress, a piece of verbatim theatre produced in response to the referendum, shaped and structured by Caroline Duffy, currently on tour in the UK and directed by Rufus Norris. Before we start, a little housekeeping notice for you. We recorded most of this episode before Theresa May announced that there would be a general election in June this year, so if you're wondering why that never comes up in conversation, it's, well, it's because no one saw it coming. One woman that I interviewed, she'd voted to leave, and she voted to leave because of the NHS. This is Rhiannon White. She's a theatre director from Wales, and she's talking about a conversation she had with a woman in Merthyr Tydfil. She was watching all of the debates on telly, so she was, you know, informing herself from what the media was pushing out. And she said that three hours after, she started to feel this sense of regret and and that she would be blamed by younger people because of the way she voted. And I felt that was just, like, really telling of, of the times that we live in. I guess what it, it gave me was a sense of fear that actually now she feels this shame and regret, like, what will happen next time she votes and will she bury that or will she become charged by it or will she feel afraid to speak about politics to people? Our country is a huge place full of different views and voices and as a national theatre it's our job to produce work that speaks to and about basically everyone which obviously is super easy. So when a giant earth-shaking political event comes along like Brexit something huge and complicated that will define the country for a generation. What's our role in that? How can theatre respond to Brexit? On the morning of the, after the referendum, I obviously had a big conversation with my partner about it. This is Rufus Norris. He's my boss. He's the director of the National Theatre, which means that it's his job to make theatre for and about the country, which also means, I guess, that he has to make sense of Brexit. And various phone calls and watching the news and all of that. It's a weird morning that morning because I remember um, we had company meeting here that morning, uh, and you know lots of people who work in the building gathered in the canteen. And we go through notices, and you sort of made a point of addressing it. You know, I guess you hear the news first as a person, and then then you go into work, and there you are, the director of the National Theatre. Did stepping into that role kind of change your understanding of the vote and how it might affect? your work here yes I think it did I think it's um, one of the sad truths of our age is that we all and may, I mean maybe it's been been true forever but I think it's more true now is that we all think we occupy the moral high ground we all think we know what the answer is to this that or the other and I'm right because X or Y um, and actually uh, we don't uh, we <laughs> It, it's very easy to think that that, that you know that that I have to be right because that justifies myself and um, and makes it easier to be me. Uh, but but in this situation, 
um, whatever you say, we haven't got 17 million idiots out there who voted one way. There was a reason why they did it. And the fact that, that we in the metropolitan centres, particularly metropolitan centres in the south, nearer to Europe, uh, felt shocked by that just meant that we weren't in touch. Mm. So therefore get in touch yeah so how soon did your kind of sense of having to create a theatrical response to the vote happen and how did it happen so around about the time you know i i had spent the the week thinking thinking we've got to have some response we're a national theater you know i i bang on about how i want this place to be a center of national debate and when a huge seismic national event happens like that we need to have a response and even though i didn't have any idea what we were going to do theatrically I thought the most important thing that we've got to do in the first instance is listen. So, that's what we did. We asked a dozen or so theatre directors from all over the country to go out into their communities with a microphone and ask people how they felt about Europe, about politics, the referendum, how they voted, if they voted, why they voted, with the intention of turning what they said into some kind of theatrical response. We called the people we sent out to do this gatherers. They were all theatre makers of one kind or another from different parts of the UK. I spoke to Jez Casey, literary manager of the Live Theatre in Newcastle, Sarah Blowers, a producer and theatre maker from Gloucestershire, and Rhiannon White, a theatre director from the Welsh Valleys. I'm really interested uh, in how you found these people. Jez, was there anyone that you really wanted to speak to but, but couldn't or found more difficult to speak to? Well, um, interestingly, we found it quite hard to we found hard to find people who voted to leave than to remain. Um, maybe the people who want, voted to remain are angrier and want to. I don't know. Um, although, if you watch Question Time, it seems to be the other way around. Um, uh, I think. Yeah, we tried to get a balance. We sat down with a map and lots of post-it notes and so we wanted a we wanted a geographical spread we also wanted an age spread so the youngest person we spoke to was 15 i think and and the oldest was 81 uh and we wanted a mix of rural and urban uh and also right across the we, i mean we were covering quite a, a big geographical area so we wanted that represented as well and what were the kind of questions that you were there questions that you all had to ask or were you free to ask whatever you wanted um we were free to ask whatever we wanted and i was really um i was really interested in the context of why people voted the way they did because i think context frames everything so a lot of my questions weren't really about politics but were about people's lives and people's truths and people's experiences um so I started off by building a picture of of their lives really and getting them to tell me like break it down their, their kind of life journey and then I started looking at word associations so I would hold up words and they would respond to words that were in the press or that were being thrown around and just saw what people's reaction was to those how did you feel in that circumstance did you feel a bit like an outsider or how do you think they viewed you a lot of people I interviewed, they want they wanted to speak and um, they wanted to be listened to. So I, I totally didn't feel like an outsider. I don't know about you guys, but I felt so welcome in their homes. And actually, I become really good friends with all of them, regardless of their political views. It was like, actually, we got to a place of complete and utter trust and um, openness. And I just listened. I did like uh, the, the reason for us to go into those houses and to interview those people was just to listen. So it was with no no judgment. And actually, I found 
found it quite interesting because some of my political beliefs were challenged in those moments as well. Mm. I really found that things that showing no emotion or or reaction to what was said you um were able to in a way process information in a different way and um you know I spoke to lots of different people with lots of different views and there was one man in particular who I just thought yeah I really get why you voted the way you did and I I don't agree I didn't vote that way but I understand why you've done that and I also understand why the whole estate has done that um and that you know that was quite humbling and that was quite nice sometimes to be humbled what were the most surprising things for you all um that came out out of these interviews only one person out of i interviewed 12 people and it was a young man who's i think he's 22 he was the only person who asked me what i thought or what my views were at the end and he was generally interested he said i've been talking i really want to know what you think and i thought that was fascinating that was the only person who asked me did you find the same thing Rihanna? Um, I think what I found is like it's not really a surprise it just reinforced this um, idea that the media peddles absolute nonsense about people (laughs) and that actually like I was speaking to people who had such like some of them had very extreme views but in their hearts they were real socialists and they really cared about the place they lived they cared about the people around there they would go out they would cut the neighbours gardens you know they really looked after each other um and that's never spoken about, like the love that people have for their place, for their identity, for the people who live there. Um, but it's always, I don't know, there's this narrative of, of loss and hatred that these people, like mm. people put on, on specific areas in the UK. And I think it just reinforced that for me, um, meeting people and really feeling their humanity. There's, I mean, as well as being a quite a seismic event politically, Brexit's been felt quite personally by an awful lot of people. And I just wondered how going through this process might have affected you all personally? I was at um, a theatre conference last week and I invited two women who I'm working with who live on a really large housing estate in Gloucester, which is a huge amount of social housing. And we're working with them and they've become producers. And they came to talk about, um, is theatre just for posh people at an event? And um, somebody in the event, there was about 100 people there, sort of made a slightly guffawing joke about Brexit and what a disaster it was. And I thought, you have just made a total assumption that everybody in this room voted the way you did. And I know for a fact that these two women that I brought today, both of them voted leave, as did their whole estate. And I really think that that was part of the problem. There was a slight smugness of... um, people like the theatre elite who as this woman said when I when she first went to a posh theatre she said why was everyone wearing jumpers on their shoulders you know (laughs) and uh and I think those slightly smug assumptions are really important to look at and even I came to a press conference here last week about the work and somebody asked a brilliant question which was would you have made this show Rufus if the vote had gone the other way because there would have still only been a four percent difference and I feel like the smug elite of which I'm probably one have had their noses put out of joint and um, potentially the people who didn't who have won you know for want of a better phrase you know, that's quite unusual for that to have happened. And I think that's what the shock is. Now, I thought this was a really awesome question. So I wanted to hear what Rufus had to say about it. Do you think that you would have been led to create a response if the vote had been 52-48 in the other way? 
I've th- I, you know I've thought about that quite a lot and I don't know I hope so um, I think to be honest because we're in a uh, because we're in a majority remain area and we're in a majority remain industry um, there wouldn't have been the pressure to do that had we been a national theatre that was based in in Bradford or in Leicester or in you know uh, in a in a part of the country where where there was you know it was a much closer call. The result was a shock, but it wasn't as though if it had been fifty two forty eight, the it, things would have been any different. You know, the country still would have been as divided or complicated. Absolutely, just... absolutely. And you know, I say it was a shock, but I I've spent plenty of time outside London. You know, I come from a large family, and there's only two of us in London, and you know, we, we had all voted different ways, and I knew that was going on. So it shouldn't have been as much of a surprise in the end. I thought a lot of people, when it came down to actually ticking that box would go with the status quo because that's that's traditionally what what we've done as a as a as a country and as a population you just like would change sorry we don't like change <laughs> no no and i think i think probably it's surprised well it certainly surprised the the leave camp they weren't expecting expecting to win were they <laughs> hence what happened afterwards that's true i think the people in this country have had enough of experts <laughs> i'm not asking them to trust us i'm asking them to trust themselves they're not listening no one's listening to me, you know. No one cares what I want. I just think that their voices are not being heard and they'll only realise it, they'll only see when it's too late. They listen till they get in and then they twist it to how they want to. My friends, it is a stitch-up. It is a stitch-up. Indeed, it is a. It is the biggest. It is the biggest stitch-up since the Bayer tapestry. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about the fact that it was verbatim theatre and that your decision to create a piece of verbatim theatre rather than, uh, you know, commissioning a playwright to write, you know, a piece of creative work from the ground up and whether you felt constrained or empowered or both by the fact that you were working with real things that people had said and you weren't entirely free to create a work from scratch. Well, it's two very, very different ways of making work. I think there will be probably... Uh, brilliant plays written about this period of time. It's a very heated period. I think, you know, the, the population is more engaged with politics, has been more engaged with politics over the last year than we have been probably for half a generation, which in some ways is is incredibly positive. Um, but those plays that are written about it will take time and often you need proper hindsight. So the only option really available I think is to um, is to do something quick response, and if you're going to do something quick response, you could work with a writer, and but then you're only going to get one view, and it still won't have that perfect constructed um, arc. And if it does, even then you go, well, what are you going to end with? You can't end with a conclusion. We're still, you know, Article Fifty has just been triggered. We have no idea. We have no idea what's going to happen. Nobody has any idea what's going to happen. In the end, it's it came down. You can sort of uh, divide the verbatim material into two halves. And this is completely using a phrase of Caroline Duffy's. And she would say, I'm interested in human music. We didn't use exclusively human music, but we tried to focus on that because actually it is a definable thing. What she meant was um, when people are talking from the heart, but also from a place of experience. So if you have a woman 
who is uh, age 65 or 70, and she's grown up in Leicester all her life in a particular estate and has seen during the course of her adult life that estate go from 10% to 80% Asian or British Asian, then her view uh, on immigration is human music because it is her experience that she has lived. Whereas somebody in Northumberland, uh, who's a hill farmer, uh, when they're talking about immigration, that's not human music. That's what they've read off Facebook or off Daily Mail or The Guardian, whatever they read, it's not lived. They, on the other hand, can talk about the EU effects on farming and the fact that all of the abattoirs, which were in their area, now are in North Wales. And so you're starting to get dissociated from uh, the, you, you know, the 360 degree nature of farming and being at one with the land. So that is human music in a, in a very different way. In a sense, the surprise, which shouldn't have been a surprise, which is that when people are talking from their own experience, it has a validity and is incredibly rich. And suddenly you start to listen in a way that is, that is meaningful. So, in the spirit of listening, we wanted to know what audiences made of the show. So we sent Nick, another member of the team, to go and ask them. Hello, I'm Nick. I'm here with Emma, the producer of the podcast, and we are lurking awkwardly around the foyer of the Dorfman Theatre. Uh, my country is about to start in about half an hour or so, so we're going to talk to some audience members about what they're expecting from the show. I'm expecting to be challenged. I'm expecting to hear some ideas that I haven't thought of and, and some angles that I haven't um, sort of seen it from. And it's increasingly difficult to have a voice, um, and I feel that the arts can represent another voice in the country and... Um, it, it's a very important uh, voice that hasn't got a financial stake in what's going on. Well, I think Rufus Norris has been pretty open about his thoughts on Brexit, so it's probably... I think they'll try and be neutral, but I think it'll be pretty obvious what the leanings of the creative team are. I mean, maybe not, but I feel like there might be a, a bit of an evident bias. Bias. That came up a lot. And we keep hearing that theatre is a majority Remain industry, that most people voted that way. So you can understand how people could be sceptical about how a piece of theatre could be objective about this. So Nick stuck around after the show to hear more from the audience about their reaction. To be honest, I thought it would be something that, that would, would come out saying, well, you know, we should have been Remain, but this is what, you know. But in fact, it was very equivocal. And I thought, look very intelligently at people's relationship with their country, which is what we are having to do now. Because we're told with productions like this that, you know, we're living in a Remain bubble um, in London, and that's possibly true. So it is, it's really interesting to hear from people who, who don't, didn't vote that way and who have come to see the production. And um, you've already mentioned that you felt that it was very equivocal, which I think is, is really interesting. And I guess I'd like to know a bit more from all of you as well about, about how you felt about the issue of bias within the piece. If there was an issue of bias, if it was fairly level-headed, if it wasn't. Broadcast media are mainly uh, remain. Newsnight, all the staff, according to the Sunday Times at the end of August, everybody who works on Newsnight is a Remainer. The people at the front of the camera, the, the runners, the researchers, the office staff, all remain. My fear of bias, and why I didn't buy a ticket for this weeks ago, I thought, I know what this could end up being. Uh, and that's why I congratulated Rufus Norris now for doing a decent job in setting this out, because it's not perfect to my way of looking at things, but I'm not bothered about perfection. So, so I, I feared the worst, 
But actually, I was pleasantly surprised. And I think we were saying after how moving we found it all at several points. And that's the nature of interviewing people. You, you never know for sure what people are going to say because we, we all look the way we do. And then we surprise people with what we do think. We, we spoke to a lot of audience members coming out of the show. And one thing that a lot of them said was that they were really impressed by or surprised by the, how balanced they felt it was. How did you go about seeking balance in the voices that you had captured as part of the listening project? Well, the first step towards that was to make sure that we were interviewing people that were not going to just come up with, uh, with the sorts of opinions that we surround ourselves with. Mm which meant that we had in our 100 hours of interviews plenty of opportunity to then create the balance that we that we th- thought most appropriate. Um, and actually what we did, you know, initially I thought, well, we should be about 50-50 or marginally more leave than remain because that was the vote. But actually when you put into that the, the, the fact that... Uh, the, You've got the leadership talking about it. It, it. We are in a theatre, so we're going to have a. You, you know, it's a fairly safe assumption to say that we'll have a a, a balance leaning towards remaining in that theatre audience. That it was worth pushing. Uh, if this is a listening project, to encourage the audience to listen, so pushing the balance a little bit further the other way. So my associate director Rosemary simply was asked as we went through it to count up the leave and remain arguments and to make sure that we were that we were falling by some five to ten percent on the side of leave. It's so interesting that you're breaking it down to mathematics on that level. But I mean just as a vote does, I suppose, in that this massive issue gets taken it, It's a very it's a very simple way of doing it as well, because yeah. you literally go spend the next half hour going through and go tick, 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 tick. I mean of course in the end context is everything. You can mm. you can uh, give somebody uh, plenty of airtime, uh, but if they're ridiculed in the last moment of it, then it's slightly, you know, and depends what they've said. So you'll never really get an accurate um, sense of that. Also, the other thing that I find have found really interesting with this project is that people do largely hear what they want to hear. The, the critical response and the audience response have all been entirely contradictory. I guess when you take something as divisive as Brexit as your subject matter, it's understandable that opinion is going to be divided as well. And Rufus saw this firsthand after the show. Some, somebody attacked me the other day uh, saying, you know, after the show, didn't physically attack me, but came up and said, why have you chosen the most stupid people in Britain to make this uh, piece out of? And, and literally the person who stood behind him took issue with him and said, no, hang on a minute. And they started having, before I even said anything, they started okay. having an argument. So what did you take from it? What did you think of it? To be honest, I felt that it um, had an underlying assumption that uh, British people are a bit thick. Most of the people uh, portrayed in it seem to not be able to think uh, beyond their own initial assumptions about the world around them. So it felt a little bit hopeless, um, but it might have been very true and very accurate. Um, but. I felt there might have been a bias in just the way it portrayed all people. I think there were quite a lot of people who did know what they were doing when they voted, but I think they were a minority, so it's quite reasonable to portray British people as stupid. One thing that comes up in this play, and in life, is 
how isolated a lot of people feel from the political establishment, the people and the mechanisms of Westminster. So we wanted to know, what would a politician make of this show? Does the country shown in the play feel like the country that they've been elected by and that they represent? So we asked one. Ed Miliband, former leader of the Labour Party and unexpected theatre fan, came by to talk to us. Did you get a sense of that play kind of starting conversations between people about what the referendum meant? I did get a sense of that and I got a sense of it after the show and people coming up to me and talking to me about you know, whether they were Remainers who felt that their point of view, had their point of view been properly heard or other people I've met since the show who've gone with Remainers who've said, gosh, that really changed my mind. That really made me think of this in a different light. And I think in the way what the play is trying to do, and you, I could see it happening afterwards and, and from people who've gone to see it, is connecting people with the people they don't know, the other side. Mm. I loved that you came to see mm, mm. the show. Kind of nice. Ooh, I bought tickets like... for my mum as well, separately, <laughs> just, to, just to sort of curry favour here. Fantastic. Uh, we'll, we'll take note. Yeah, um, exactly. But yeah, like how, how connected do you think Westminster is as kind of an institution to the arts in general? Probably not as connected as it should be. Mm. Uh, you know, lots, I think it varies. You know, lot, lots of people are, but probably probably it should be more. Um, you know, I, I think the arts are incredibly sort of valuable in just so many different senses. I think they sort of, you know, they reflect the character of the country. I see the constituency MP. We've got a new theatre in Doncaster, the Carl's Theatre. You know, that is making a big difference to the vibrancy of our town. Um, it's got economic value, but, you know, I, I think the sort of economic value is important, but, but I think it's really important not to just see it as economic value. It goes well beyond economic value. How much theatre do you see? Do you see a lot of theatre? Um, I see more now that I'm no longer leader of the opposition, and I have time to um, do it. I try, I try and uh, I try and go to things uh, if I possibly can. Um, but I was uh, I was keen, very keen to see my country, even sort of before it came out. If you see what I mean, because I kind of think it's such an important subject. And what did you make of it when you saw it? Well, I really loved it, and I and I and I'm not just saying that because I'm on your <laughs> podcast. Um, well, I thought it was very. I thought it was very clever because I. I think you know the, the trouble is that it, it's a play, not a sort of verbatim set of people reading, and and it could have been quite boring, and it isn't. And and you know some people I've some read some of the reviews, which is I know not what people who perform in things are supposed to do, or, or politicians indeed review reviews themselves. <laughs> uh, but but I think some of the reviews have sort of slightly missed the point because they sort of say, well, it doesn't lead you to an obvious conclusion or it seems a bit disparate. Well, I mean, that's the point. You know, that's the very point. As a, I see this as a constituency MP, I should have said this. My constituency voted about 70, 72% for Brexit. And yet, you know, I, I live most of the week in London. Lots of my friends are Remainers. And so I sort of have a foot in both camps and I sort of see both sides of it. And and in a way that's so so lots of the lots of the um, things in the play, particularly about the leavers, the leave voters spoke to me. And and the biggest thing of all, I think you have to understand about this referendum, is it is about immigration. The reason people voted to leave it is about immigration. It is about sovereignty relationship with Europe. But it is about much much more than that. It is about a deep sense about the country, a deep sense that uh, of loss of the country not working for people, of people feeling disenfranchised. And I think unless you get that about the referendum, then you don't really understand 
why it happened. You just think it was a sort of nasty accident or, you know, people were misled or, you know, people were prejudiced or whatever. And, and that isn't that isn't getting to the deep roots of what happened. And that's why I think that's why I think the play is really uh, important. It feels like everyone was kind of voting on a different issue almost like there's there are so many different things that you could have voted yes for or voted no for yes but it but it, but in the end and this is actually oddly enough i mean i i was not in favor of having the referendum and if i'd won the election we wouldn't have had it i thought this referendum would become and i hadn't realized the extent to which this was going to be true that it would become a referendum about the state of the country not just about the state of britain's relationship with europe and and i think there are lots of different reasons that people voted but for the people that voted to leave, I think by and large, it was a set in some sense a referendum on the state of the country, mm. and people were saying we're not happy, and right. we want change. One of the things that the play sought to do was to take all these different voices and create a narrative that sort of spoke for and of the people of the country, which to me sounds remarkably similar to what you would have to have done as the leader of political party. To construct a narrative that connected with the country, and I wondered if you saw any similarities there. Yes, and I think in a way, the very disparate nature of the voices that you hear in the play reflects the disparate voices of the country uh, on this. Um, I think what the play was also t the play made me feel very proud of the country, um, which wasn't exactly what I expected. In the sense that I think what the play gave you a sense of is is the you know there are disparate voices on Brexit, but the great sort of qualities about Britain, its sense of humour, the the different parts of Britain and what they contribute to the country, it, it, it gave it a sort of richness, not not in a sort of simplistic jingoistic way, but in a quite subtle way. I, I think I think it was one of the things I really liked about it, and I suppose the other thing that it was sort of telling us, and maybe this goes to your point about the job of political leaders is there is more unite that unites us than divides us i think and, and the first step to understanding that is to understand someone else's point of view is it if you're a remainer not to think leave voters are a bunch of racists and if you're a leave voter not to think remainers are a bunch of snobs <laughs> you know um understand the other side and recognize there is quite a lot that unites us one thing i wanted to ask you about was the role performance plays in politics because certainly politics can seem quite a performance yeah a performance and you know there are lots of bits of theatre to it if you think about Prime Minister's questions yeah. there's, there's all this I just yeah. wondered how how big a part of it do you think theatre and performance kind of is it's a good question I do think people have a sense of do you believe it or do you not believe it now maybe they have that in the, with actors too obviously but but I think you know, it is a performance but, but I think the sort of substance the substance matters but of course communication and and how you communicate your message which obviously is a is a is a massive issue for theater is um very relevant but i guess you would never wonder if an actor believes the things that they're saying you know if they're playing you know, murderous claudius oh, i wonder if he's really yeah, a murderer but exactly. i guess you you would question well, you a suspend disbelief i suppose yeah. with an actor i guess what you're doing as a politician is uh performing the things you do believe and yeah and that's like i guess the challenge is to is to fully communicate what you really care about and really stand for yeah and look that's that that that's hard in a world where 
you don't necessarily have two hours of people captured in the theater with the doors closed. Yeah. You know, it's a much more fleet people. It's a much more fleeting impression people get from 20 second sound bites on television or, you know, maybe a bit more. And I suppose that's, you know, look, that is part of the um, a- a- and it's and it's often distorted through a lens, mm. through a media or newspaper lens. So, look, that's part of the challenge, definitely. I like the politician voices and how the difference between the ordinary people and then these these voices from politicians and the disconnect. Um, yeah, it spoke volumes, I think. <laughs> you realise how ridiculous Boris Johnson is <laughs> yeah. when it's somebody else saying it without his persona. Yeah. He means nothing and says nothing, but everyone seems to remember him all the time it's quite terrifying one of the obviously the, the the show is made up of lots of different people from all over the country but it's also got the voices of uh, Westminster in it mm-hmm. um, and I wondered how you felt as a politician sitting in the audience seeing the voices of people from Westminster it's a very good Boris Johnson as well <laughs> I was going to ask you about that how were the impressions <laughs> if the EU were an animal I tell you what it would be it would be a lobster because the EU, by the very way that it works, encourages its participating members to order the lobster at the joint meal because they know the bill is going to be settled by everybody else. So that's what the EU would be. It would be a gigantic lobster. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what's it like seeing... Because th- it puts the voices of political leaders in Westminster alongside the voices of people from all over the country and it kind of, I think, makes you see them in a slightly different light. I just wondered how you felt about seeing those. Well, I think what's good about it, now that you mention it, is that it's the politicians are one voice among many. And uh, there's this journalist, John Harris, who's, who wrote a lot of pieces in The Guardian, who's a friend of mine, uh, around the time of the referendum. And he always used to say to me, people are misunderstanding this referendum if they think it's about David Cameron or Boris Johnson or Michael Gove or Nigel Farage or Jeremy Corbyn. It's about, it, 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 there's two campaigns here. <laughs> there's what the politicians are saying, which to some extent is tuned out. And then there's the deeper sense of, do you feel happy about the direction of the country or do you feel you want change? <laughs> And, you know, so people say about general elections, is it a change election or is it not a change election? This was a kind of change referendum. I mean, narrowly, but it was a... But 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 I think... So I think, I think in a way, the, in the sense, the fact that the politicians' voices are embedded in the wider public's voices is probably about right in terms of the way this referendum happened. Mm-hmm. That said, how do you think the decision to leave Europe will affect the arts in this country? Well, in a way, I think that's for, for for people in the arts to tell to tell us. But I know that there is issues about European funding, for example, um, uh, for that. And though I'm sure there must be issues too about you know European performers and others. And you know, you want Britain, as Sadiq Khan says, you know, you want a sense that London is still open, that Britain is still open. Um, and I think that's very, very important after Brexit. So, so look, it's a, it'll be an uncertain time for people in the arts. Um, and just like it's an uncertain time for for the country, and I think I think one of the things that is important about Brexit is that everybody, you know, all voices are heard in terms of what potential impact Brexit could have, so that you can shape, so that you can shape the sort of future after Brexit. Do you know, last night I probably felt more British than I'd ever felt. We were in a damp shed, drinking tea, pouring down rain, freezing cold. Committed to a project 
that were far too complicated for her. That, that to me, is Britishness. <laughs> we all think we occupy the moral high ground. We believe as a national theatre that it's our job to produce work that responds to events like this. But is making a play about Brexit worthwhile? Well, that's probably a bigger question than we can fit into one episode of this podcast, but we asked the gatherers, who are theatre makers from all over the country, what they thought. Certainly what's really interesting for me is that how you... What this project has done is really unpack that quite flattened vote of 48-52 Remain Leave and, and, and try and broaden out that and find the depth in those voices. Um, theatre is obviously a very kind of immersive medium it can it can provide a lot of depth on a subject but it's also quite quite a local medium and it's quite you know it's it's small scale and I wondered how how you felt about whether or not theatre which is quite of a small impact compared to something like tv and film whether it is the most appropriate medium to explore a a massive national issue that affects everyone and how you felt about that it's a start isn't it (laughs) <laughs> this is that and actually I think like we need to be using all the mediums to talk about this because um, it's not just about Brexit it's about like I don't know I think it's absolutely bonkers how people didn't think this would happen I think it's absolutely mad and the crisis started way before Brexit and the divide between all of us is getting further and further and further apart and that's you know if this show can bring different audiences together and create dialogue and debate and conversations then maybe we'd be able to understand each other a little bit better and what theatre can do is bring people together in that moment. Brexit has taught us anything, it's that we don't all agree. So I'm sure a lot of you listening will have plenty of thoughts to share with us on the subject. Don't be shy, reach out. We'd love to hear from you and we hope to share some of your thoughts on future shows. You can reach us on Twitter at National Theatre using the hashtag NTPodcast. And you can also keep up with everything we're doing on the National Theatre blog, on Facebook and on Instagram. My Country, a work in progress, is currently on tour all over the UK and you can find dates and venues on our website. But if you can't catch the show, there is a TV adaptation in the works for BBC Two that'll be coming out sometime later this year. Thank you so much for listening. This was our very first episode and there's plenty more to come. We're going to be talking about theatre in prisons, performing gender, science, architecture, loads of stuff. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts if you haven't already, and please leave us a review if you liked the show. This episode was produced and edited by Emma Reedy and presented and co-produced by me, Sam Sedgman, with help from our social content editor, Nick Mulligan. Music was by Alex Painter. A huge thank you to our contributors this week, Rufus Norris, Ed Miliband, Jez Casey, Rhiannon White and Sarah Blowers, as well as the cast of My Country, A Work in Progress and all the people who let us badger them in the Dorfman foyer while they were trying to have a nice night out. We'll be back in two weeks with our next show, and until then, goodbye. Goodbye.